Well, now that we're all settled in, and uh, we hope that you can uh, stay with us for the next three hours plus for another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and I'm your host here every Monday night. And, uh, of course, we have uh, a bit of an agenda this evening. Um, Last week, I uh, commemorated uh, one of the most important and actually the best-selling album of Charles Mingus, and uh, that was done in two sessions, Uh, and it's the 55th anniversary of that particular recording session with his um, 1959 edition of the Jazz Workshop, and uh, they did one session, we commemorated it last week, uh, being May the 5th. The second session was held on May the 12th. So again, it's still (laughs) exactly 55 years ago when this historic record was made. And of course, it was completed on the second session. So a little later on in the show, after the first tune, as a matter of fact, we're we're going to get into... uh, commemorating uh, all the tunes that were recorded on the second Mingus session on May the 12th. So that's happening. Our jazz feature, which is usually on or shortly after 11 o'clock, is something rather special this evening, is Miles Davis. Miles Davis at Fillmore, Fillmore East. One of the great um, musical venues that popped up uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. I guess one could call Fillmore East a rock palace because that's what was happening. And certain jazz musicians uh, were able to play um, in those rock palaces because their music appealed to uh, essentially a younger, youthful audience. And I know my good friend John Handy played in a lot of those places. Charles Lloyd, who was coming to this year's Jazz Festival, he was a big star, and he performed uh, Roland Kirk, uh, the great Rassan Roland Kirk, um, and, and a few other jazz musicians, including Miles Davis. Now, this is not Miles Davis of the quintet or the sextet playing standard tunes and Uh, originals and so on. Uh, This is a very different Miles Davis. This is post-Bitches Brew, which was really kind of a beginning. That was also a a best-selling record. But this is more, I think, than Bitches Brew. This is is much greater music, much more significant. And um, we're going to listen to, on the jazz feature, a whole evening recorded on... Um, June 19th, 1970, at Fillmore East, with his band at the t- of the time. And, of course, uh, Mr. Davis, at that time, he had found a new love in his life, a young lady, and uh, he, was, he, of course, had altered his music uh, a great deal by adopting electric instruments, uh, being influenced by some of the more... Um, advances in rock music and combining that into his music. Uh, he called the band Directions. That was the name. It was Miles Davis Directions. And the people involved in his band 
were Keith Jarrett playing organ. Yes, electric organ. Uh, Jarrett hates electric instruments, but he did, um, to, to remain with Miles Davis, he uh, played either electric piano or electric organ. And uh, he did that out of respect for what Davis wanted at the time. And, of course, after that, abandoned electronic instruments forever. But Jarrett's uh, unbelievable on these recordings. But there's another keyboard artist by the name of Chick Corea. So there's two of them on here. Uh, Chick is playing electric piano. Dave Holland is playing electric bass. And Steve Grossman wonderful tenor saxophonist who kind of came up playing uh, bebop and straight-ahead music, was uh, discovered by Miles Davis, and and he uh, was asked to join the band, and he replaced Wayne Shorter, and Steve Grossman was a very adaptable young man, very talented, and still is, and uh, he took over the saxophone position in the band, playing soprano and tenor. On percussion is the fabulous Brazilian, Erto Moreira, who plays the flute, uh, tons of percussion instruments, and adds to the whole mixture of this music. So it's, it's most interesting, and those of you that expect Miles to be playing uh, Funny Valentine and all those tunes, uh-uh, that's not where it's at. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just that way. Um, of course, uh, Miles was subject to tons of criticism. Uh, people said, Miles, what are you doing? Uh, why don't you go back to your older music? And then, of course, Miles often answered people by saying, why should I go back to my older music? Did we get it wrong the first time? So that was, that was basically his dismissal of anything. Miles had his own vision, and this album is uh, really... But the beauty of this performance is that... All the issued performances up to this time have been edited down to about 20 minutes. And this is a deluxe CD edition of the Four Nights at Fillmore East, unedited. So we get the whole evening um, on each CD. And I have chosen to play Friday Night, Miles at Fillmore. Our jazz feature this evening. We're going to open... A lot of people talk about the pocket in music. You hear musicians talk about getting in the pocket all the time. You know, that's, that's yeah, really in the pocket. And rhythmically, um, music with, with, with lots of rhythm, rock music, uh, folk music, some folk music, uh, jazz music, um, Indian, East Indian classical music, and even European classical music can be very rhythmic. And there is such a thing as the pocket. The pocket is when all of a sudden it seems to come together. There's a feel that is sustained. And there's, it's the greatest feeling in the world if you're on the bandstand and that happens. Uh, it's All of a sudden it's kind of a spiritual communion between all the musicians involved. And it's something that you, um, you can't uh, uh, bring into being. I mean, you want to go there, of course. Every, everybody does. But you, you can't simply conjure it up. It just has to happen. And, and, and when it does, it's the greatest feeling in the world. 
and sometimes it happens during record sessions, um, maybe just on one tune. And this is what we're going to open the show with because it does happen on this tune. The musicians get into the groove, the pocket, as it were, uh, so beautifully. And um, you can hear this kind of cohesion happening. Now, all these musicians are very, very capable of playing and, and, and giving you five-star performances. But there are certain things that stand out. And, and it happens once in a while on a record date. And it did on this one. This was a very good session by guitarist Grant Green. And it's um, basically a straight-ahead session. Uh, standards, uh, blues, a few originals. Um, and in great company with the wonderful underrated and sadly departed at a young age, legendary pianist Sonny Clark. On bass, one of the greatest, Sam Jones. And on drums, what can I say about Art Blakey? Um, I can't say anything superlative or, or more superlative that hasn't been said before about Art Blakey. He's just one of the great giants. This is Grant's... Um, arrangement of a Gershwin tune from uh, the opera Porgy and Bess. And the, the tune is It Ain't Necessarily So. That's the tune, and Grant has a little arrangement that you hear, a few little variations in the melody. But the band hits that pocket. And it's something that you can't teach. Um, it's impossible to teach. It just has to happen with musicians of a certain caliber. And... Um, they get it on here. And, of course, you, you hear the joy in the playing on here by everybody. And, uh, and Blakey is, is particularly uh, enthused on this. You hear his, his, his cries in the background uh, at certain points in here. And, of course, he just... Um, it's very easy for musicians of lesser caliber to try and overplay this. None of these guys do that. They understand where they're at. So we're going to listen to this. It's a great performance. Grant Green on guitar, Sonny Clark on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Art Blakey on drums. And it ain't necessarily so. Have fun with this.
We just heard Grant Green on guitar with Sonny Clark on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and the great Art Blakey on drums. And that was Grant's arrangement of the Gershwin tune from Porgy and Bass that ain't necessarily so. And, of course, hitting the groove, hitting the pocket on that particular recording session, which is all excellent stuff. But this particular tune, they, they just get into this elusive thing, and it just happens and it's something that um as i said every every musician tries to tries to get and, and get to uh, but you can't force it it just has to happen there's a certain chemistry there and it just goes like that an exceptional track from this uh from an exceptional album actually uh this is from a set uh double set that was issued uh, on Blue Note a few years ago called The Complete Quartets with Sonny Clark. And it's some of the best Grant Green and some of the finest Sonny Clark as well and some great tunes and so on. But this one really, uh, really hits it. And I decided to open the show uh, with that because it's uh, just so nice and relaxed and uh, gets into the pocket. There you go. <laughs> Very... Um, for this time of year, that's what we need to do. We're going to turn our attention now to the music of Charles Mingus. And as I said last week, we commemorated the 55th anniversary of the first uh, group of tunes that were recorded, May the 5th, 1959. We played all of those with the um, 1959 edition of the Mingus Jazz Workshop. We're going to complete that because the second session was held on this day, May the 12th, but in 1959. And um, these tunes, with the exception of uh, two at the end, which were not included on the original issue of this album, um, these tunes made up uh, from the May 5th session and the May 12th session, uh, one of Mingus's classic albums and also his best-selling album. It was his first for Columbia Records, and it really put... Um, Charles Mingus on the map in terms of uh, acceptance uh, by the overall jazz community. Um, this was really his rise from the underground and um, became one of the most important musicians in music. And of course, Columbia Records had a great distribution system and the records got out everywhere and uh, were well played. Mingus uh, once said that they sold 5 million copies of this record, which was totally impossible, but uh, they did sell a lot, and it turned out it was Mingus's best-selling album. Um, not 5 million copies, because that would be <laughs> for a jazz album. I don't think so. The people involved on this second session are basically all of the people that were involved in the first, with one exception. And uh, that one exception is the trombone chair. It's taken by a gentleman named Willie Dennis, who was a favorite of Mingus's. And uh, Willie, unfortunately, uh, died in a car accident in uh, 1962, and we lost this excellent musician, um, wonderful player, very, very fine trombonist. And uh, according to my friend John Handy, who was in the band, Willie Dennis was just one of the most pleasant people to be around. And uh, just hilarious, kept everybody in stitches. So the people involved here, we hear John Handy uh, on alto saxophone on all tunes except tune number two that we're going to hear, which is 
Charles Mingus's dedication to Lester Young, the president who just passed away. Mingus wrote this piece, and John Handy takes uh, one of his finest solos ever on tenor saxophone on the um, on the classic tune "Goodbye Pork Pie Hat," which has been immortalized. And Handy's solo, of course, has been uh, this. Uh, been even words put to it. Joni Mitchell put some words to uh, John Handy's solo and made this whole piece uh, immortal. Uh, the other saxophonist, uh, two saxophonists on here, Booker Irvin on tenor saxophone with his big, uh, um, really strong, aggressive sound, and um, playing uh, a subsidiary role only in the section work uh, is the wonderful Shafi Hadi. And he alternates between alto and tenor saxophone on on the tracks. But you don't hear him solo. He's only there to fill out the ensemble. And he was one of the uh, um, alumnuses of uh, an earlier jazz workshop. On piano, Horace Parlin, who is still with us, lives in Denmark, has lived there for many years, great piano player. Uh, Of course, Charles Mingus on bass and Danny Richmond on drums. All the tunes, with the exception of one, are by Charles Mingus. And we open with one called Boogie Stop Shuffle. That that begins the set. The second tune is the immortal one to Lester Young, Goodbye Pork Pie Hat, featuring that incredibly beautiful um, tenor saxophone solo by John Handy. And the third tune is, uh, there's no solos on the third tune, but I think it's it really is one of my favorite pieces on the whole album. It's called Self-Portrait in Three Colors. Then we have a tune, uh, following that is a tune um, dedicated to Mingus's idol, Duke Ellington, and, it's, and the tune is called Open Letter to Duke. Then we go to a tune that, um, following that, we, there's a tune that was not included uh, on the original album, and it's a Mingus original called Gigi Train. Um, named after one of the subways in New York. And then the final tune is um, a Mingus arrangement of an old standard called Girl of My Dreams. And um, it's just an old old standard tune that Mingus sort of redesigned for his own purposes. And that wasn't included on the album either. So those two tunes, Gigi Train and Girl of My Dreams, conclude the set. So we take you back to celebrate the 55th anniversary of this recording session, May the 12th, 1959, the Charles Mingus Jazz Workshop. Boogie, stop, shuffle. Thank you. 
And that's how it ends. And we heard all of the tunes uh, from this album, with the exception of the last two, which were not uh, on the original album, on the famous Charles Mingus album called Mingus Ah Um, of course, which is a corruption of uh, Mingus's uh, name as a Latin declension. Those of you that uh, uh, know Latin, I'm sure there's not too many of you out there anymore. But... Um, that uh, album, of course, was, uh, is, uh, was, is a classic by Mingus. And, of course, this was one of the finest editions of his jazz workshop. The people involved here, John Handy on alto saxophone, except on one tune where he plays tenor, and uh, Booker Irvin on tenor saxophone. And in the background in the ensembles, Shafi Hadi on alto and tenor saxophone. And on trombone, Willie Dennis on piano, Horace Parlin, Charles Mingus on bass, and Danny Richmond on drums. And all of the tunes, with the exception of the final one, were all composed by Charles Mingus. And they were... Um, these are the ones that are were included on the original album, Mingus Aum. And, of course, uh, we opened with one called Boogie Stop Shuffle. Then we moved to the probably the best-known of all the tunes, Goodbye Pork Pie Hat. Mingus wrote this tune. Lester Young, the great uh, president of the tenor saxophone, had just passed away. And uh, Mingus, it behooved Mingus to write something about him, and of course, one of Lester's um, characteristics was that he wore a pork pie hat. So that's why Mingus called it "Goodbye Pork Pie Hat," and that featured an immortal solo on tenor saxophone by John Handy. And then we move to uh, a non-soloing piece that uh, I've always liked. One of my favorite tracks in the whole album. It's called "Self Portrait in Three Colors." Then we move to uh, one with, uh, through different movements called An Open Letter to Duke. And, of course, the Duke is Duke Ellington. And uh, then the two tunes, the two final tunes were not included on the original album, uh, but we heard one that featured a fairly long solo by John Handy on alto saxophone, and the tune is called Gigi Train, after uh, one of the New York subway lines. And the final tune is an old standard uh, rearranged by Mingus, called Girl of My Dreams. So that concluded all of the tunes recorded at Columbia's big 30th Street s studio in New York City, May the 12th, 1959, and celebrating the 55th anniversary of that immortal session by the Charles Mingus Jazz Workshop. After a couple of messages, we'll be back with some music Recorded at the Orpheum Theater, but back in 1958. So uh, stay tuned for that. How much do you know about bikes? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one -on -one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished, guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. 
Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers, or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen, and then get riding. Yeah, well, our weather uh, is pretty nice these days. Uh, tonight is going to be partly cloudy, uh, that sort of high cloud out there with a low of 11. And tomorrow we'll, we'll start that way with the high cloud again, and uh, then it will clear off in the afternoon. We're going to get a beautiful day tomorrow with a low of 11 and highs between 21 and 25. Then for Wednesday, again, that high cloud up there, a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 12. Highs between 21 and 25. And then on Thursday, sunny with a low of 13 and highs between 20 and 25. Pretty nice. And then on Friday, a mix of sun and cloud, low of 13, high of 19. Then a bit of a downturn for the weekend. Cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower on Saturday with a low of 12 and a high of 17. A little cooler, too. And for Sunday, cloudy with a 40% chance of a shower with a low of 11 and a high of 15. So there you have it. The weather. And, of course, you're listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz, and we hope you're enjoying the show so far, and we're very happy that you're here with us. Here is a couple of, um, or here are a couple of selections, recorded at the Orpheum Theater, August 4th, 1958, as part of the original Vancouver Festival. This was a a cultural event. Uh, Vancouver was a little smaller city at that time, but there was a gentleman named Nicky Goldschmidt, who, um, legendary fellow, um, that decided to um, produce uh, a cultural festival. So there were plays, uh, music, all kinds of uh, wonderful entertainment, and um, eclectic, of course, and, of course, some jazz, and Oscar Peterson was part of it. Uh, the great Canadian pianist and his trio performed at the Orpheum Theater, as I said, August 4th, 1958. And we're going to hear a couple of tunes with the Peterson trio, with Herb Ellis on guitar and Ray Brown on bass, and, of course, O.P., Oscar Peterson at the piano. We're going to open with a tune written by Clifford Brown, and uh, it's a wonderful piece of music called Dahood. And then we're going to hear a piece written by another pianist, John Lewis, of course, who was uh, the musical director of the Modern Jazz Quartet. And he wrote a tune called The Golden Striker. And we're going to hear that tune. So that'll be tune number two. Dahood first and The Golden Striker to follow. Oscar Peterson at the Orpheum Theater. Thank you. 
Peterson bringing the house down at the Orpheum Theater right here in Vancouver, August 4th, 1958, as part of the Vancouver Festival presentations. And that was, they, uh, they brought in some jazz musicians, and Oscar, of course, being most prominent with his great trio, was invited to perform here in Vancouver. And we heard two tunes. The first one was uh, an original by Clifford Brown, the great trumpeter, called Dahoud. And the second tune was John Lewis's great uh, anthem, The Golden Striker. And we heard Oscar on piano with Herb Ellis on guitar and Ray Brown on bass. Oscar Peterson. Mm-hmm. We're going to hear some music by uh, early Stan Getz in uh, a very few moments, just after a brief message, and we'll be back with uh, some of his, actually, um, his favorite recordings, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you the rundown in a moment. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news, as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. After Stan Getz left the Woody Herman band uh, in the 40s, the second herd, uh, he went out on his own. Of course, he, uh, he had scored with um, several tunes that he was featured on, and of course, uh, uh, people just loved uh, Stan Getz's uh, sound. And he began recording on his own and leading his own bands. And of course, that was the beginning of his uh, um, ascent to jazz stardom. And uh, Stan Getz had such a unique uh, sound on tenor saxophone. Uh, it changed over the years, yes. But So I, I would refer to this um, period of uh, Getz's playing as the, uh, as the cool Stan Getz um, with this beautiful sort of ice blue sound that he had. It, uh, it was one of the most um, unique sounds in, in, in jazz. And, of course, uh, his sense of melody and, and his lyricism and the ease, uh, Stan Getz's technique was unbelievable on the instrument and just so relaxed. And uh, um, his identity as, as a tenor saxophone player was established right from these recordings. Uh, for many years, these were among Stan Getz's own favorite recordings. He began recording for Prestige Records, which was a small label. They were just starting out uh, back in the late 40s. And this comes from June 21st, 1949. And he had just left the Herman Band. 
and um, this uh, quartet uh, of musicians were among his uh, confreres. So we hear Stan on tenor saxophone with Al Haig on piano, Gene Ramey on bass, and Stan Levy on drums. And this, these four tunes uh, were recorded, um, actually there's five tunes here, uh, all recorded in New York City. Four tunes? Just a minute here. I'm just yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's only four tunes, which made up um, two sides uh, or or two 78 RPM um, records, and this was my real first initiation with Stan Getz too, because I had a very hip cousin, Robert, and Robert was listening to and buying records. He was uh, quite a bit older than me, and. Um, I badgered him to borrow these recordings from him, and he was pretty generous uh, because he knew that I would take care of them, and uh, we had a very good record player at at home. So uh, Robert was quite uh, willing to loan me um, some recordings so that I could listen and was developing my taste in jazz. And these were among the first uh, recordings that I listened to with Stan Getz, and uh, they're some of my favorites too. So I, I uh, like to dedicate this uh, little set to my uh, to my cousin Robert, uh, who turned me on to a lot of good music, including all of the tunes that we're going to hear right now. We open with um, a Stan Getz original called Long Island Sound, because that's where he was living at the time, uh, which is outside of New York on Long Island. And then we Indian Summer, a great standard, is the next tune in line. Uh, following that is a tune, another original called Marcia, and uh, following that is another Getz original, uh, which is really a blues, but it's um, it changes key every 12 bars, so it goes up, it goes through a, 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 a key cycle, and it's called Crazy Chords. So here, then, is some classic, very cool Stan Getz. Thank you. 
Some prime early Stan Yetz, just after he left uh, the famous Woody Herman band and went out on his own, and of course um, was on his way to becoming one of the great stars of jazz with that uh, beautiful sound that he had and that uh, whole unique approach to the tenor saxophone, um, with that very light sound and and uh, yet uh, um, and very original ideas and yes, yeah, Stan Getz. and. Um, this was during his uh, what they call his his uh, cool period because he had that beautiful ice blue tone on the tenor saxophone. He was accompanied by the wonderful Al Haig on piano, Gene Ramey on bass from Kansas City, and Stan Levy on drums. And that, all of this was recorded in New York, June the twenty first, nineteen forty nine, and uh, we heard four tunes. The first one was uh, based on a standard called Zing Went the Strings of My Heart, uh, and uh, Stan retitled it because uh, he, he dispensed with the melody and just played the, the um, structure and called it Long Island Sound, dedicated to where he was living at the time in New York. Then the second tune was Victor Herbert's uh, beautiful tune, Indian Summer, and then tune number three um, was uh, called Marcia, 
and uh, that's considered another Getz original. Again, this was a standard tune, thinly disguised, actually, and um, it was based on the uh, chord progressions of When Your Lover Has Gone. Then the final tune was A Key Changer Blues, and it, it, uh, it went through a, a cycle and um, changed key every 12 bars, and it was called Crazy Chords. So those four tunes were issued, and I had the, uh, as I said, I had the original 78 RPM um, recordings back when I was very young that my uh, much older cousin uh, loaned me, and of course I uh, I played them to, to death, but uh, I tell you, my mother liked Stan Getz. Uh, there were other saxophonists uh, she didn't care for. Um, well, she eventually got around to, but she she hated John Coltrane and she hated Sonny Rollins. Uh, but she finally came around to uh, acknowledging them, too. But she loved Stan Getz right from the start. And uh, she wasn't alone, of course. So there you go. Stan Getz, yeah. And, of course, we just had uh, had Mother's Day, so I was remembering my, uh, my, my departed mother in uh, many aspects, so. Uh, I thought I'd pull out these recordings because uh, she listened to them as much as I did because uh, she was at home in the in the kitchen or just sitting around, and uh, I uh, played these recordings again and again and again. <laughs> All right, so Stan Getz. We're going to move now to, um, before we get into the jazz feature, another track from this award-winning album, by Christine Jensen, and uh, the album is called Habitat, and uh, this was reviewed in the latest issue of Downbeat magazine. They gave it the highest rating, five stars. And Christine, of course, is from Nanaimo. She's uh, the sister of Ingrid Jensen. And Christine, of course, is an amazing saxophonist, but she's also an amazing writer and um, arranger as well. And she put this band together made up of the cream of the crop of Montreal musicians. And I'm not going to go through all the names here, but there's um, lots of, uh, there's about uh, six saxophone players, um, four trombone players, a tuba player, and uh, four trumpet players. On piano, John Roney. On bass, Fraser Hollins. And on drums, Richard Irwin. And... Um, other people in the band. My friend Dave Grott, as a matter of fact, is playing uh, lead trombone in the band. This one features a wonderful tenor saxophonist by the name of Chet Doxas. And uh, Chet is solos on this piece. He's the only soloist. And this is a composition by Christine. It's a wonderful piece of music called Nishiyu. So here then is the Christine Jensen Jazz Orchestra. Thank you. 
Amazing piece of music by Christine Jensen and the Christine Jensen Jazz Orchestra. This was her composition dedicated to the First Nations people of Canada. And um, I won't go into a long story about this, but she dedicated this to uh, a journey that was taken uh, back in uh, 2013. And... uh, Six Cree youth walked from 1,500 kilometers from their native community in northern Quebec to Ottawa through all kinds of weather and uh, were part of the Idle No More movement. And uh, she dedicated this piece of music. She was inspired by this and dedicated this uh, piece to First Nations people of Canada. The soloist on here was the wonderful Chet Dorxas on tenor saxophone. And the composition was called Nishiyu and uh, is part of this wonderful album called Habitat. It's an award-winning album and won the Juno Award for uh, Large Jazz Ensemble. And it was recently reviewed in Downbeat Magazine and they gave it the highest possible rating, which was five stars and a rave write-up about this album. So this is her finest album so far, Christine Jensen. And uh, she is from Nanaimo, just like her sister, Ingrid, and uh, Diana Crowell, who everyone knows. So (laughs) there must be something in the water there. And a very, very talented lady who lives in Montreal with her family. And uh, the members of the band are all cream of the crop of Montreal musicians. Christine Jensen. We'll hear some more from that album uh, in future. But I would like to briefly tell you that the uh, final announcement for this year's Jazz Festival uh, is out. The program is out. It should be uh, available at uh, several uh, Toronto Dominion Bank outlets because they are one of the major sponsors. And there's all kinds of people coming to um, the festival. But the big ticketed items, of course... Uh, Bobby McFerrin is coming to the Orpheum Theater on June 22nd. Um, Hiromi, a wonderful, energetic uh, Japanese pianist, is bringing her band to uh, the Vogue Theater. Um, And, of course, uh, uh, John Korsrud and the Darcy James Argues Secret Society. Two major orchestras will be collaborating and playing at... Performance Works, and that's a single show beginning at uh, 8 o'clock, and that's going to be quite an event. And, of course, uh, Jason Marcellus, the younger um, Marcellus brother, who um, plays drums, but he now is playing vibes, and uh, he's bringing a a quartet to Performance Works. And uh, you're going to hear Jason Marcellus. Yeah, Monday, June the 23rd. And all kinds of other people. Maceo Parker is going to be coming to the Vogue with his funk band. And the Nightcrawlers with uh, Corey Weeds and Steve Caldestad and Dave Sekula and Jesse Cahill, who is the leader of the Nightcrawlers, 
will be performing with a great singer named Don Pemberton, and they'll be opening for Maceo Parker, so it'll be an evening of good, funky jazz right at the Vogue Theater. Then, of course, the legendary Charles Lloyd is coming uh, June the 27th. So, and Cassandra Wilson, one of the finest singers of this or any other generation, will be performing also at the Vogue Theater on Sunday, June the 29th. And the, um, the festival goes on from June the 20th to July 1st. And, of course, it's just a stunning array of musicians uh, of all styles and stripes, and they'll be performing all over. There's all kinds of venues and so on. We'll be doing on June the 2nd, um, we just finalized it, I'll be doing a show uh, with the media director from the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, John Orsick. And uh, we do this every year, and John essentially takes over from me. I just kind of interject, and John uh, selects uh, a whole evening of, uh, of music and talks about it. And uh, I kind of respond to it, and uh, basically it's his show, and he'll be the feature on... June the 2nd, the first Monday in June, and uh, we'll be doing the Jazz Festival, the annual Jazz Festival show with myself and, of course, the featured guest, John Orsick, the redoubtable John Orsick, and uh, he'll be telling you all the ins and outs of the festival this year, and it promises to be a great one. So there you go. Coastaljazz.ca is the website to go on to. And uh, you can access uh, all kinds of things. You can buy tickets and, and uh, just browse around the website and check out what uh, you would like to see and all that kind of stuff. So there you go. That's what it is. And, of course, they're on Twitter and Facebook and uh, all that kind of stuff. Another site to go on uh, instead of CoastalJazz.ca is uh, Fest. And uh, you can check them out on that as well. So there you go. And, of course, another great website to get onto is Brian Nations. And you can access the Jazz Festival also on his site, and that's VancouverJazz.com. So both of those websites um, will take you to uh, the Jazz Festival. And, and uh, Nations, Brian Nations' site is, is great because you can go around and see all the local bands that are playing and all the little gigs that are happening in Vancouver. And uh, there, there, there's such a variety of places now uh, that do have gigs. With the closing of, of the cellar, of course, uh, one of the central um, areas in Vancouver where we had uh, uh, steady jazz music, um, it doesn't really exist anymore because uh, it's jazz is located in, in, in different places and in different evenings as well. So it's much more eclectic, and uh, you pretty well to to figure it out. You pretty well have to go to uh, a, an informed website and find out uh, who's playing what, where, when. And uh, Brian Nation's website, VancouverJazz.com, provides that. So check it out. One more thing, Ken Speller, my buddy Ken Speller, wonderful musician, and also a repairman. And, of course, anybody that plays a woodwind instrument or a saxophone or an oboe or a flute, clarinet, 
whatever, um, Ken will repair that instrument. He has his own shop uh, right in his uh, home, which is located at 13th and Lonsdale in a very modern building. And Ken has all the equipment. And, of course, being a fine musician himself, he knows exactly what uh, you have to do to get your instrument in shape. So you can get hold of Ken easily on the phone, 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933, or K Speller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca, K Speller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Ken Speller, good man to know, and uh, he gets your instrument in shape and make you sound as good as you possibly can. Our jazz feature this evening, we're going to take you back to the evening, Friday night, June 19th, 1970, and Miles Davis and Directions. This is, uh, these are legendary recordings that initially came out on a double album uh, on Columbia Records, and then later on issued on CD. Um on a double CD set, and it was consisted of four nights at the Fillmore East. And of course, in in the in the sixties and seventies, a lot of these um, rock palaces were opening. They um, they were sort of older theaters that were kind of converted. And um, Fillmore East uh, in New York City, we had Fillmore West uh, in San Francisco. Uh, we had the uh, the Retinal Circus right here in Vancouver that pre- uh, presented a, a variety of music. And, of course, the light shows were, were part of all that kind of stuff. Uh, the places weren't sort of sit-down venues because they were dealing with mostly younger people who liked to stand and listen to the music or sit on the floor cross-legged, uh, all that kind of stuff, you know, or sit in the lotus position and just get into the music. Uh, it was an interesting time. And uh, various jazz groups um, were booked to play these venues alongside uh, some of the great rock bands. And one of those groups was Miles Davis's band. Miles had changed his music by this time. Uh, it was much more electrified, much more um, very energetic. Uh, the volume was, was, was quite high as well because of the electronic instruments in the band. But Miles Davis was playing his buns off in those days. Uh, He had a a new young lady. Uh, Even his dress had changed because Miles always appeared in uh, in wonderful uh, tailored Italian suits and uh, and, uh, Italian shoes and um, always looked great. But uh, by this time, uh, he had grown his hair into a, uh, he was wearing an afro um, and his clothes were more reflective of Carnaby Street, tie-dye shirts, um, uh, pants, uh, multicolored boots, all this kind of stuff. Miles had completely changed his, his dress, uh, and he still looked sharp. And um, he was also in a very, very healthy frame of mind at the time. He wasn't uh, uh, doing anything other than uh, eating uh, properly, going to the gym, keeping himself in shape. He was in a very uh, very healthy frame of mind, very happy frame of mind as well. And uh, this band is really an extension of what he did on one of his most popular albums, Bitches Brew, but it's much more uh, significant and much more energetic and high-powered. And uh, 
although some of the melodies will be familiar with you if you're familiar with the Bitches Brew album. And one more thing is that when these uh, uh, four evenings were issued on, on LP and then eventually on CD, they were all edited down. So a performance might be, uh, an evening's performance might, might be uh, 60, 65 minutes. It was edited down by Miles' producer, Tio Machero, to 20 minutes. This is unedited. This is a deluxe new CD uh, edition of um, all the evenings at Fillmore East in New York City. And there's no edits. They've taken, uh, they found the master tapes and put them on this uh, deluxe package called simply Miles at the Fillmore. So we're going to hear Miles Davis on trumpet with uh, a new recruit uh, in the band. He had just taken Wayne Shorter's place in the band, Steve Grossman, on soprano and tenor saxophone. Steve had just come out from uh, playing straight-ahead jazz, and of course moving into what Miles was doing was a big stylistic step for Steve, and he really took care of business. But the amazing guys in the band are the two keyboard artists. One is Chick Corea, playing electric Fender Rhodes electric piano. And the other one is Keith Jarrett playing organ, and uh, electric organ. And um, Keith stayed with Miles for a little while playing um, organ and also uh, uh, piano, electric piano later on. This is the only time that Keith Jarrett ever played these instruments because he absolutely abhors electric instruments and won't touch them to this day but out of respect for miles and what miles wanted he did what miles wanted and so he's here heard here on the organ dave holland is playing mostly electric bass Um, he plays a little bit of acoustic bass but it's mostly electric bass and of course the fabulous jack d Jeanette on drums is provides a lot of energy in the band and a person that provides a lot of color in the band is the great Brazilian percussionist, Erto Moriera, who is heard on all his different percussion instruments, plus flute, and he also does a little bit of vocalizing, too. So we take you back to Friday night, June the 19th, 1970, at Fillmore East in New York City, Miles Davis, directions. This is our jazz feature this evening. Just sit back and let this music take you on a trip, because it will. Thank you. 
That was the complete Friday night concert by Miles Davis at Fillmore East, June the 19th, 1970. And of course, a lot of the music, a lot of the themes were real extensions of uh, many of the concepts that were begun with his historic Bitches Brew album. But uh, Miles was taking the music far beyond that album on uh, on this uh, during this time and uh, really extending on them so we heard miles on trumpet miles davis on trumpet steve grossman on tenor saxophone and soprano saxophone uh, chick korea on fender rhodes electric piano keith jarrett on electric organ Dave Holland on bass, Jack DeJanet on drums, and Erto Moriera on percussion, flute, uh, the whistles, all that stuff, and vocal as well. And, of course, uh, the whole evening of uh, unedited of uh, Friday evening at the Fillmore. This is uh, just one um, CD, which is part of a deluxe four CD set, where they have reissued all of this, all of these performances at Fillmore East each of the nights, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and uh, put them on four separate CDs um, of the whole evening. So all the edits. Initially, when these albums came out, they were um, twenty minutes long for uh, Friday night, uh, for instance. Um, Everything was edited down, but these are unedited, uh, unexpurgated performances by Miles Davis and his uh, band. And as I mentioned before, Miles was in a particularly uh, happy and healthy frame of mind playing at these uh, rock palaces alongside some of, some of the great rock musicians. And, of course, his music was accepted as well because people came to those places to uh, relax and um, smoke a little, and uh, sit back and just enjoy uh, the music and get taken away. And, of course, that's what Miles' music was all about, especially during this period. So we hope you enjoyed this particular uh, jazz feature with Mr. Davis and company. We're going to close with a couple of pieces by George Benson. This is the early days of George um, with his guitar, of course. And uh, George, one of the greatest of all jazz guitarists, 
Here he is with uh, Dr. Lonnie Smith when he was just plain old Lonnie Smith at the Hammond organ, Ronnie Cuber on baritone saxophone, and Billy Kay on drums. And guest artist on the two tunes we're going to hear is the gentleman who performs our theme song, Mr. Benny Green on trombone. So we're going to hear two tunes featuring uh, the George Benson group plus Benny Green. The first one is called Benny's Back. It's a composition by George Benson in honor of Benny Green. And the second tune is uh, Lester Young's great theme, Jumpin' with Symphony Sid. So that's going to close our show this evening. We hope you enjoy the music of George Benson and company.
close the show with some classic George Benson from his album, The George Benson Cookbook, and two tracks featuring the great trombonist, my favorite trombonist, Benny Green, and he's the guy that does our theme song, our opening and closing theme as well, and uh, a guest appearance by Mr. Green. George Benson's quartet included, of course, George on guitar, Dr. Lonnie Smith on Hammond organ and the great Ronnie Cuber on baritone saxophone, and Billy Kay on drums. And we heard two tunes. Um, The first one was a Benson original, uh, dedicated to Benny Green, called Benny's Back. And the final tune was Lester Young's great uh, theme song, dedicated to one of the great disc jockeys, jazz disc jockeys, Symphony Sid Torin, and it was called Jumpin' with Symphony Sid. So that concludes the jazz show this evening. My name's Gavin Marker, and we'll be back next week. Our jazz feature artist next week is a wonderful album by guitarist Grant Green, and it's entitled Matador, and it features Grant Green, McCoy Tyner, Elvin Jones, and company, and uh, it's uh, just an excellent album, and we'll be playing that on the jazz feature next week. So uh, do try and join us, especially if you're a fan of jazz guitar. I'd like to thank you very much for being out there this evening and hope you enjoyed the show. And as I said, we'll be back next Monday, which is, uh, I always like to tell my um, American compatriots because they often ask when this particular, next week is a long weekend. Uh, It's Victoria Day, of course, and... um, Americans quite often ask, well, what is the long weekend in honor of? And, of course, I always like to sort of smile without any explanation and say, well, it's Queen Victoria's birthday, and leave it at that. And, of course, they're very puzzled by this. So it's a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, we'll see you on Queen Victoria's birthday next week, May the 19th. Thanks again for being out there on behalf of CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca, and myself, Gavin Walker. Take care. Bye, and good luck. Do-ba-dee-oo, 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 do-ba-dee-oo,
Rádio Badiou.